Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Friday, July 24th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. The hottest new app that's sending people on mysterious adventures. A heartwarming act of charity from Washington's newly named team. Lin-Manuel Miranda dishes on some pretty mind-blowing inspirations for some of his biggest songs. And a kitchen hack for making better homemade popcorn. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. The latest app to experience a newfound heyday in our weird quarantine days is Randonautica. Quoting The Cut, Randonautica describes itself as the world's first quantumly generated choose-your-own-adventure reality game. It invites you, the user, to set an intention for your quest before running off toward your coordinates. The idea is that you will then manifest that intention during your journey, which is to say, while randonauting. It launched in early 2020, but really took off as a form of socially distanced entertainment once the coronavirus pandemic hit, end quote. And it boils down to, app gives you random coordinates, you go there. But it's taken off in such a huge way that I tried to dive a little deeper to see what's really drawing people in. First, here's a little bit more on how it actually works from The Atlantic. Quote, Randonauting is simple. You can do it using the free app, Randonautica, which asks you for your location, prompts you to select one of a handful of different entropy generators, which one you choose should not really matter, and then asks you to focus your mind on your intent. Then it spits out a set of coordinates that could allegedly be influenced by your mind interacting with the machine or not, and you can choose to go there or not and submit a report of what you find or not. You can generate 10 sets of coordinates a day for free and pay to generate more. The app's logo, fittingly, is an owl because owls see in the dark. Randonauts see what other people don't. In particular, they see what they otherwise wouldn't. Randonautica launched in February and has mixed reviews on the App Store because it often crashes. Additionally, people who live near bodies of water tend to get coordinates that fall underwater, which can be frustrating. You have to pay for the privilege of excluding them. End quote. A quick note from me, the website says that the app is still in beta, so the crashing problem should be fixed eventually. People have been sharing their randonauting adventures and discoveries on Twitter, TikTok, and the Randonaut subreddit. There's even a Twitter called Randonaut Creepy that shares the more macabre discoveries. Most, however, are pretty run-of-the-mill. Cool animals, little free libraries, abandoned debris. The people posting them see in awe of finding these ordinary items, mostly because of that prompt from the app to create intent. Like a Twitter user who said her intent was to find a bear, and then she and her randonauting partner found a box with a logo of a bear on it. Or a Reddit user who went randonauting on Father's Day thinking about his late father. The randonautica coordinates led him to a cemetery where he met a coyote in broad daylight, and his late father's nickname was Dog. The coincidences people discover are pretty endless, and the creepy side can get pretty creepy. One reason the app has blown up is because it's what those teenagers used when they accidentally discovered dead bodies in a suitcase which they posted on TikTok and went viral for. Link in the description goes into more detail if you hadn't heard that story yet. And by the way, Randonautica doesn't lead you to specific places that the Randonautica team have discovered on their own or something. It didn't know that the dead bodies were there or anything like that. It's completely random. As Randonautica creator Joshua Langfelder pointed out, when people were getting out and roaming in large numbers during the initial Pokemon Go craze, people frequently found dead bodies then, too. 
Quoting The Atlantic, The randonauting community, and the term randonauting, existed before Langfelder launched his app, and the generation of random coordinates used to take place with the help of a custom bot in the messaging app Telegram. Langfelder was part of the group that built that bot. The Randonauts subreddit was created in March 2019 and currently has more than 114,000 members. Their stories are incredibly wholesome, usually focused on rescuing injured animals or stumbling across meaningful locations that remind users of loved ones or their salad days. It's the TikTok Randonauts who want to see spooky stuff and catch aliens. They tend to trespass, and many of them film unhoused people, sometimes calling them creepy, neither of which is in line with the nine tenets of Randonauting. End quote. And those nine tenets include, among other things, venture with mindfulness, be sincere, bridge culture gaps, and respect the place you visit, leaving it cleaner and better than before you went there. I suppose that it's pretty cool that so many people are having fun exploring their towns and engaging a sense of whimsy towards what we usually just overlook, even if the whole quantumly generated aspect feels a little junk sciency to me. I've always been a fan of exploring a familiar place as if it were brand new, and if it takes an app with some mystic vibes to get a bunch of people inspired, that's fine by me. Plus, I was pleased to discover that Langfelder does actually credit Guy Debord's theory of deriva as a major inspiration, which in short encourages the practice of walking through an urban setting and connecting with facets of the environment emotionally in a new light as a form of resistance to the monotony of our modern capitalistic society. So, Randonautica is refreshingly not another instance of some tech dude thinking that they invented something that's been around forever. Still, quoting The Atlantic again, The basic premise of Randonautica, that your brain can influence a random number generator, comes from controversial research conducted at Princeton beginning in 1979. There, the late engineer Robert G. John spent decades exploring the largely derided hypothesis that people could use micro-psychokinesis to affect machines in very small ways. This theory, which has generally been dismissed by other scientists, is cited on the official Randonautica website and extrapolated to suggest that a person can focus on any kind of specific feeling or noun and then be led to coordinates that somehow correspond to it. Brenda Dunn, John's lab manager for many years, told me in an email that this seemed plausible to her. I would predict that the results produced with the Randonautica app would demonstrate meaningful correlations only occasionally, but more often than might be expected. Though, she added, the app has a psychological aspect that would prime users to notice coincidences and mystery. End quote. As Stanford University statistics professor Brad Efron told The Atlantic, quote, randomness is more random than humans can contemplate, end quote. The point being that the world is pretty random and strange, more so than we give it credit for. We often try to add meaning to things that just are. That's part of why I personally love documentaries and true stories far more than fiction, because so much happens in real life that an audience of a fictional story would say is too much of a coincidence, too cliche, too bizarre. But it's real. Now, all of my skepticism out of the way, I actually think this app is really cool, and the community that's formed around it is awesome, and at least for those who follow the Nine Tenants to respect the places and people they encounter, really wholesome. I haven't gone on my own random knots adventure yet, but I definitely plan to this weekend, and you should all let me know if you do as well. So you might have heard the big announcement out of Washington yesterday about their team's new name. 
No, not the anticlimactic Washington temporary name from the Washington football team. I'm talking about the epic team name announcement from Seattle, Washington, for their finally happening National Hockey League team, the Seattle Kraken. It is an awesome name, at least in my book, but what's even cooler is that the Seattle Kraken are donating 100% of their net proceeds from what are sure to be huge initial sales of all of their highly anticipated team swag to nonprofits in their community. According to the press release, the money will be going to, quote, youth care to end youth homelessness, along with other nonprofits serving the underserved black, indigenous, and people of color in the greater Seattle region, end quote. They continue to say, quote, nearly half of our community's homeless experience it for the first time before the age of 25. An average of 1,100 youth and young adults in King County are unaccompanied on any given night, with 70% sleeping outside for lack of housing. Youth Care serves 1,300-plus youth each year at 14 sites across Greater Seattle and provides such practical needs as meals and shelter, along with the simple yet powerful action of valuing youth when their families and society have not. End quote. Sales of all Seattle Kraken merch for the next 30 days will be going towards Youth Care and the other unnamed nonprofits. And that is how you name a team well and use your platform for good. I have zero ties to Seattle, but I might just be rooting for the Kraken next season. Even if you are not a huge fan of Hamilton, which after its July 4th Disney Plus debut has been sparking conversations about its complicated role in perpetuating a sanitized mythos of America's slaveholding founding fathers, whether for that reason or you just don't care about musical theater, think that the show itself is overhyped, you can't deny that its creator, Lin-Manuel Miranda, is enormously talented as a songwriter and storyteller. Recently, Rotten Tomatoes spoke to Lin-Manuel Miranda as part of their Artist's Reflection series about his inspiration behind some of his biggest songs, and not just from Hamilton, but also from his first Broadway musical In the Heights, and from the Disney animated feature Moana, and even his Star Wars Cantina song in The Force Awakens, which I totally forgot he did. The whole video is worth a watch, it's really inspiring, but he dropped a few gems that I wanted to share with you. So first, he mentions that he started writing In the Heights because there was so little Latino representation on Broadway that he didn't think he'd ever have a career in that industry unless he wrote the representation for himself. He also wanted to bring all of his musical influences to the show. Classical Broadway, yes, and contemporary Broadway like Jonathan Larson's Rent, but also hip-hop like Jay-Z, Mob Deep, and Big Pun, and Latin musicians like Celia Cruz and Ruben Blades, and artists who infused deep, important messages into earworm dance melodies. Sound familiar? When he worked on Moana, the song How Far I'll Go originally started as a song called More that was about Moana being impatient to leave the island that she'd grown up on. A real pop-punk, gotta-get-out-of-this-town kind of narrative, if not musically. But he and the team realized that it was more authentic to Moana's character and to so many people's experiences to actually feel conflicted about loving your community so much but also wanting to leave and, and see how much you can accomplish in the world, how far you could go. But to get that real sense and to transform the song, Lin-Manuel went back to his childhood bedroom at his parents' house to stay the night so that he could literally go back to the place where he was when he was, as he says, at his, quote, angstiest and teeniest. So when you listen to that song again in the future, just imagine grown-up Lin-Manuel in his childhood bedroom trying to get in touch with his very angsty inner teen self. 
Now, for the Cantina song in The Force Awakens, Jabba Flow, it actually happened because J.J. Abrams went to see Hamilton around the time that he was starting work on The Force Awakens, and being a huge fan of his work, Lin-Manuel introduced himself at intermission and joked to Abrams, hey, if you ever need some Cantina music. But to his shock, Abrams replied, yeah, actually I do. And so the match was made, and Lin-Manuel says that he was never trying to recreate the original Cantina band song, but he did want to write it in an authentic Star Wars language, specifically Huddies, which he did using an online Huddies translation dictionary. And also, in a really relatable detail, Lin-Manuel says that he was behind on deadline on writing Moana when this was happening, so even though both projects were owned by Disney, he didn't tell anyone at Moana that he was working on Star Wars because he felt guilty for being behind. But perhaps my favorite nugget of genius was pointed out by Jason Kotke about the whoa, whoa, whoa part of the Hamilton song, My Shot, which Miranda points out took a year to write. Just as a reminder, here is what that whoa, whoa, whoa section sounds like. Whoa, 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 hey, whoa. And now here is what Lin-Manuel Miranda said about it is based on the AOL startup dial sound because I wanted it to feel like his words are connecting with the world and they're reverberating out into the world. And I associate that with the first time I signed on to the internet and you hear Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's the AOL dial-up octave. I mean, what even? Like, that is so cool and pretty deep. Dang, I mean, that is a next-level connection. I always respected Lin-Manuel Miranda, but some of the stuff that he dropped in this interview, just little connections like that, but also his bigger philosophies about music and representation, mad respect. Ending today with a very quick tip for making homemade popcorn. It's Friday, most movie theaters are still closed, you're probably spending most evenings watching movies at home, so why not cook up some homemade popcorn while you do? And if you like making it on the stovetop, which is objectively both more fun and dangerous than the convenient microwave bags, you probably make it by putting a lid on the saucepan you put the kernels in and maybe leaving the lid a little askew as a makeshift vent. Turns out it is way better to cover the pan with aluminum foil, cinched around the edges and perforated with a knife once you've turned on the heat. Quoting Lifehacker, who got this tip from video producer Brian David Gilbert, quote, The perforated foil works like a built-in release valve, allowing just enough steam buildup to get the popping started and then immediately releasing the excess so it can't drip back into the pot. Plus, you don't have to play the how a jar is to a jar game or handle a hot, heavy pot lid dripping with condensation. Jiffy Pop had it right all along. End quote. Jiffy Pop did have it right. In fact, I might just try making some Jiffy Pop on my stovetop instead of bothering with all the steps of making homemade popcorn myself this weekend. I have also popped popcorn kernels on a waffle iron before, but I wouldn't recommend it as the most efficient method. In any case, I hope you all enjoy some perfectly popped popcorn while you stay in this weekend. And that is it for today. As always, this show is produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird. I hope you all have a very good weekend, and I will talk to you again on Monday.